Are we live? Live and recording. Oh, great technician of Theology on Mission, are we live? So let the music breathe. Ooh. So good. Makes me want to be back in the Griffith Conference Room right now, where we used to do this. Ah, yeah, the Griffith Conference Room. Season one, remember season one of Theology on Mission? It was when so great. sound was terrible. We Let me tell you something. We were doing. You never really have understood me. Did you hear what I said? I, but I understand. Hello. You. I understand you, and I can hear you too. You never really have understood me and why I get so attached to a place and what it means. Because you're just this techno guy. <laughs> Dave Fitch, no more looking back to the past. We're moving forward. It's time here. to go forward. We're moving Year two. Forward. Theology on Mission podcast. Welcome to everyone from across the country, from across the continent, maybe even that one person from across the globe. Oh, we're we have, here. We have people to talk theology on mission. I think we're a global podcast by now. Really? I think so. I think we've gone across. Is your some cousin from uh, Eastern Europe? Yeah, in? not Eastern Europe, but uh, East Asia. You know, you got East. <laughs> East was in there. That was good. So you're good. But yeah, yeah, for sure. So we're starting season two of. Theology on Mission. We have some things coming back from the first season, but also some new things that we'll be sprinkling out as we go along. So, Dave, are you ready to get this started? I'm ready. I've never been more ready, uh, at least in this podcast. All right, then let's get started. From Northern Seminary, in partnership with Missio Alliance, this is Theology on Mission, the podcast exploring God, the church, and everything else. Dave Fitch and myself, Jeff Holskla, are your hosts. All right, so you and I, historically, we've brought this up many times. We haven't talked openly directly about evangelicalism or being evangelical but in one sense that's who we are and like for any issue of identity it's always something you're continually grappling with it's something you're trying to figure out to kind of take hold of make sense of like our families of origin and things like that even our jobs it's always like we're trying to figure out our identity but we're also trying to figure out our mission we're trying to figure out what we're doing and so when it comes to evangelicalism this is something that you and i and maybe some of our listeners are always trying to Figure out. Well, I can't say I'm always trying to figure it out. But, you know, the fact of the matter is uh, evangelicalism is a uh, historical, let's call it tradition in the United States. You and I both come from that tradition. It still weighs heavily, uh, influentially, in terms of a church in North America. And the question always comes back, are we going to dump it or are we going to try to save it? Are we going to try to reclaim the goods the good things about evangelicalism and reform it, or are we just going to say sayonara evangelicalism? Absolutely. And so this is becoming quite uh, an issue for me all the time. I've been holding on to my evangelicalness for as long as possible, but recently it's been very difficult. And I think oh, it's been on. difficult for other people. So, but it's been difficult for other people like Ed Stetzer. Are you so, talking uh, about the political Republican? Yeah, blah, blah, blah. I am, but we'll get into that. That's made time. it difficult. I it's agree. It's made it difficult. So, but uh, Ed Stetzer, who considers himself an evangelical, went on to the venerable. And he's a friend. He's a friend of both years. He went mine. on to the venerable media outlet known as Twitter and offered some thoughts about the fluidity and the changes here in evangelicalism. So, quote, he says, I 
am saddened by how often progressive evangelicalism is is an off-ramp to mainline Protestantism. I'm saddened by how often progressive evangelicalism is an off-ramp to mainline Protestantism, of which this certainly created quite the kerfuffle online as someone also well-known on Twitter and elsewhere. Rachel Held Evans jumped in with multiple tweets, a couple of them being, uh, she says, being repeatedly told by evangelicals that you are hell-bound and no longer welcome has that effect, has the effect of wanting to leave. She also says leaving evangelicalism isn't the same as leaving the church. She says, well, if evangelicalism is defined as Republican, young earth creationist, a complementarian, then maybe we would want to leave. That was a loose quote. That was more of a summary. So these two kind of uh, giants of the social media. Uh, and they are two giants of social media. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Uh, they have these two different kind of laments. So an off-ramp to mainline Protestantism. What do you make of that? What does that say of either Ed or the state of Ed Stetzer or the state of evangelicalism I in think, the United States? I think it's incredibly instructive. I think we ought to just stop, pause for a minute, and think about you know what's represented in this Twitter conversation. Because for me, I think uh, a lot of what uh, a lot of the people I meet and work with, not only here at Northern Seminary, in my work with churches, in the work with our local church, in the work with churches across North America, is uh, the average person under the age of, let's say, 35 is very uh, disgruntled with evangelicalism, and their default go-to church theologically is what I what Ed calls uh, progressive evangelicalism. And I think that uh, a lot of this theological space we want to call progressive evangelicalism. I mean, I put it out to you. It seems to be defined by what it's not or what it no longer wants to be in the old evangelicalism, the fundamentalism that it's wrecking, that it's rejecting. And so you will see things like, hey, I'm sorry, but I do not want to be defined as a Republican, a young earth creationist who doesn't believe in science, who has no dialogue with science, who sees women in a subverse, uh, in a, a, a subordinate role to men who can't preach, who, who, uh, you know, uh, what else did she say? Um, yeah, who see that the only Christian is being an evangelical. If you leave the church, you're not a Christian anymore, or you don't believe. And and so um, I think that that space of progressive evangelicalism is driven by the antagonism of of the authoritarian, propositional, fundamentalist evangelicalism. And uh, so there is this thing that we find ourselves in the midst of this swirl, this theological swirl. Are you Jeff Holesclaw? You are you caught? in the theological swirl. Are you? I think people have accused you of being a progressive evangelical. No one has ever accused me. <laughs> That's because they, well, they accuse you of being a liberal, probably, right? No, I no, accuse, you accuse everyone else of being I a liberal. I accuse everyone, right. including Ed Stetzer, of being a liberal. No, well, I've certainly, <laughs> uh, I've certainly resisted the idea of being progressive. I don't really like that term. Uh, we can get into that a little bit later. Um, but I, I see now not to be too uncharitable to Ed Stetzer or Rachel Held Evans, but I kind of see them both as reacting and living within the streams of some sort of fundamentalism. And so I, I, I really uh, love the term evangelical historically going back, you know, multiple hundreds of years for, and what it stands for. But I think it gets lost. Um, 
and gets grouped into kind of fundamentalisms and then progressive Christianity, but it's all discussed as evangelicalism. And so in one sense, I see the debate between those two as often just a debate between different reactions to fundamentalism. Uh, maybe that's uncharitable, but I think a lot of the people like you, Dave, or like myself, who neither were raised fundamentalists or maybe uh, mainline, were kind of like, uh, you know, both of those exp- both of those expressions uh, between Stetzer and Evans is a little bewildering to us. Um, and so I, I kind of see it as when I introduce the topic as a question of our personal identity, but also as our mission. And I see like the the fundamentalists or the conservative evangelicals as always wanting to be doctrinally secure in their identity. And so sometimes they're called, uh, they're formed around bounded uh, or bordered identities, and they're always really interested in theological doctrines, right? And so even Ed Stetzer, he has this whole, you know, he works for Lifeway Research, and so he he came up no with... No longer. No longer, oh, wait, right. does he still? He's uh, over I don't Wheaton know. now. Uh, right. He's the head Wheaton. of Billy Graham Center. I'm not sure exactly. He's doing some things with Wheaton, some things with Christianity. And Ed, we love you. Okay, we're we're criticizing the heck out of you right now, but we still do love you. But he he (laughs) gave a whole definition of evangelicalism based off of uh, doctrinal positions, and so he did this whole survey, you know, uh, thousands of people. But and he really wanted to innovate by showing not just personal self-identification and not just historical affiliation of evangelical denominations, but are people doctrinally evangelical? And so uh, I think he and many others fall into this doctrinal fundamentalism. And then I think people like Rachel Held Evans and others, they're very much more expressivist or pragmatist in their views. Pragmatist? So, pragmatist in the, in the positive sense of like doing things in the world, like oh, pragmatic, okay. like there's activities. So there's Normally this, pragmatist is not, in, at least in my you're vocabulary, right. I it's said, a negative prag- I should have said pragmatic. And so, no, pragmatic is still a negative well, not mine. Can we go? They're doers of justice sure. in the world. They're doers, and so they're, it's not it's not primarily about ideas, but it's activities. They're usually more center set, or um, have their identities kind of around a center of which they do different things. And then they're always emphasizing more mission and movement and things like that. Uh, and so, a lot of times when we have these two poles, these two views, they're they're viewed as maybe a spectrum or a continuum in which you can plot yourself. You know, are you are you more of the center? Are you more progressive? And if you're even more progressive, then you're liberal. And if you're uh, conservative, but you're not centrist, then you're more fundamentalist, and then you're reactionary. And so there's this kind of pulse. Like someone jumped on, actually, was my friend uh, from seminary, Jim Vining, and he said he reversed uh, Ed Stetzer's comment. He says, I thought conservative evangelicalism was an off-ramp toward fundamentalism. <laughs> so he wants to reverse it as the people who call themselves conservatives and inevitably find themselves being fundamentalist. And so there's a kind of this idea that there's this continuum of options when it comes to an evangelical identity and you can kind of uh, plot yourself. But is that really the best way to think about this thing called evangelicalism or even this thing called the church? Yeah. And before you move on to this next, I, I sense a segue coming. Am I right? Segway? A segue. I was trying to segue you, yeah, yeah, but if but you I want to slow stay, the roll, that's I fine. I want to just stay into this space. And I want to, uh, I, I think pastors, need to be able to navigate this space that's going on with, can I say it like this, with our young people. I mean, with people, I'll even go under the age of 40, I think there is a huge reaction to evangelical fundamentalism and its disconnect with the the cultural um, swirls of our society, the shifts of our culture, and therefore, there is this uh, reaction, and I'll call it progressive evangelicalism, and we must, as pastors, be able to allow this space to go to this space, this 
this re, this this conservative fundamentalism to go to progressive evangelicalism to get to what I think is the next space. Let me say that often when I'm reading some of the progressive evangelical writers, um, I um, kind of lose interest. Um, I go, oh man, I really can't go here. I'm I'm just so not interested in some of these ideas because. Maybe you and I. I mean, you've you've lived in Northern California. I, I've lived in Chicago, Canada, um, uh, Massachusetts, and and I'm kind of out of touch with fundamentalism, seriously. So I'm going. Really, do we have to have these conversations? I know I'm a jerk for saying this, but sometimes I go when I read Rachel and Rachel, I do love you, but when I read you, sometimes I go, really? Do we have to have these conversations? And then I get in my car and I drive through Tennessee where Rachel lives, and I drive through Georgia on my way to my mom's place in Florida. And I go, aha, there's a whole bunch of people still dealing with the, uh, the uh, intrangencies of, of fundamentalism in their life, and they need to be able to have the space to move out, think, be free, uh, to get rid of the authoritarianness to explore and engage uh, God from a different place. And so to all the pastors, I just want to say, read Rachel Held Evans. Read, um, got some other suggestions? No, not right now. I I'm not were, sure where I, you're going. I wasn't sure where you're landing the plane there. Read them for why. Why? Read them to understand and, and, and get what's going on in this whole generational shift. Oh, yes, absolutely. Okay, I'm sorry. I don't have any other examples. I don't think you were listening head. to a word I said, <laughs> by the way. But now you can go into my, your segue. My Twitter feed. Well, so, well, just to add to that is I think, so you're saying there's a natural progression that, that kind of must almost inevitably must, you know, when you move from fundamentalism or conservative Christianity, you kind of go to this other place as a corrective uh, and then uh, maybe to another place, which we're going to go to. But I think that the reverse is true, too. It's people who grew up in kind of wishy-washy Christianity, very cultural oh, Christian. Uh, then they almost have a conversion experience, and it often rebounds to some ultra-conservative uh, kind of expression of Christianity, whether you call that fundamentalist or not. So I think the, the movement can go bo- the other direction on this continuum, depending on your uh, right. upbringing and your you're raising and things like that. Right. So, but then what, so what's the option? Is it this swing back and forth until you find a nice equilibrium and then we're just all settled in the middle? Is that what we're doing? Is that our goal well, or our hope? I have No, a, it's not. I have a theory and I hope I do not offend. Please. I, I that's always, that's always a preface to I'm about to seriously offend someone. I hope I don't. I don't want to. I just want to put it out there. I submit to those of you who are thinking this three thing through with us. Uh, my my theory is that uh, fundamentalism. Okay, let me let me rephrase it. This is what happened in my life. I went from an evangelical version of fundamentalism to uh, progressive mainline liberalism in its pure form to finding that oh I have freedom now to think, experience, engage. But then I needed amidst cultural shifts, amidst the need to discern various things going on in my life, my church's life, uh, I needed something more than what I'll call experiential self-expressivism as the core of how to discern religious truth or who, is, who Jesus is and what he will do in my life through the scripture. Uh, and that's where I landed on what people now kind of recognize as the neo-Anabaptist themes of my life. 
uh, of understanding theology as grounded in the discipleship of Jesus Christ, the rejection of Christendom, the rejection of power and, and, and coercion and violence as the ways of the world, and, and the embrace of narrative, uh, social embodied Christianity. So that's the Anabaptist option. And what is it, in one sense, that makes it distinctive? And I wouldn't say it's just the Anabaptist option. I would say it's the truly evangelical option. Is I think historical or classic evangelicalism, stemming from the beginning of the colonial times up to about 1900, uh, before the fundamentalist break around the 1910s and 20s, uh, up to that point, had this uh, union of, in a sense, theologically conservative doctrinal positions and yet socially compassionate or even radical positions in politics. And so what I see is that now, after the fundamentalist split of the 1920s, is you have this inverse relation between social uh, concern and theological doctrine. And so the conservatives amp up the uh, theological doctrine to a high degree, their theological convictions are all important, but then you see kind of a diminishment of social concern, social awareness, of think of engagement outside of maybe trying to politically elect you know certain people. But then when you move to the other side, you have a high amount of social engagement and then usually a low kind of concern or revisionism of theological convictions. And I don't think that needs to be the case. That's the spectrum we seem to be on is that if you believe in the theology a lot, you usually have low uh, social concern. If you believe in social concern a lot as an evangelical, you usually kind of downgrade the- theological distinctives. And I think classically evangelicalism had a high regard for theological convictions, but also had a high regard for being socially compassionate. And I think those two can fit together. And in one sense, I think the Anabaptist option that you always talk about kind of is that place. It is that place of coming out of the cultural captivity of Christendom, um, where you kind of have these fun, different fundamentalisms, uh, and you can break out and see the church as its own politics or its own kind of culture that should be compassionately engaged and, in other and, cultures. And I do like that explanation of the shift from from evangelical fundamentalism, progressive evangelicalism, into a neo-Anabaptist uh, political engagement with the world through Jesus Christ. Um, but for me... It uh, is an epistemological shift at the core. You're a modernist. Uh, you are. <laughs> uh, no, uh, epistemological shift. I think at the, at the base of evangelical fundamentalism is a confidence in Cartesian, um, modern, ah, I see. I see. Uh, propositional, individualist interpretation of Scripture. It, 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 and as we move to the progressive evangelical, there is a... There is a epistemological confidence in experience and self-expression that God is doing and progress. Something. That God is progressively and, and, moving forward. This is why it's that's progressive. a little less developed in progressive evangelicalism, but it's an under. It's a back story to I think what plays into that. Maybe naively and not understood. But anyways, the point is, we are still grounded in this kind of individual confidence, either in my own personal experience or in in my own ability to read, think, and and understand and believe correctly and and i suggest to you that that is fundamentally disrupted by uh when christendom falls apart and now we have no more uh social cultural foundation from which to um lean on where we have a um reliable experience 
to um, express, and we have a reliable um, foundation of interpretations given to us that we all accept, and all we have to do is reinforce them. I don't know if that made sense to you, but it made a heck of a lot of sense to me. We, the frame, the modern frame, is what needs to go, and now we must engage the person and work of Christ through the ongoing apostolic passing on of the tradition of the disciples through the Holy Spirit into a people to live out the gospel before the world and engage piece by piece the righteousness, justice, and work of God in the world to make, become witnesses to his kingdom. And I think that that's, that's a, a totally different way of living Christianity. Uh, but having said all that, I realize that those in the first two frames have to go through frame one, frame two to get to frame three. In no particular order. You could no, go from no, the progressive actually, to the fundamentalist, but you could also go I, fundamentalist. But you need to, uh, in a sense, you need to exhaust all your options. So to say it a little no, bit different. No, exhaust all your, no, exhaust all your... You have to come to an epistemological crisis there. Is that better? That's better. That's better. That's but a little bit better. Can I just say, I mean, we're saying a lot here, and, and, and I'm expressing a lot of my own opinions, and, and I hope I'm not sounding like a jerk by saying all this, but I really do think my own life was going from evangelical fundamentalism to progressive evangelicalism, to landing on the Anabaptist option, which I'll call the neo-Anabaptist evangelical option, for lack of a better term. And I think that pastors should be willing to let everyone go through the same. In fact, most pastors need to go through that, that uh, shifting and moving to have, a, to have a Christianity that is genuinely post-Christendom, missional, and engaging of the world. What so do you think? How do you... Uh, no, I agree. I think there needs to be, just in the sense of letting you being a pastor or a church leader or a church member, all of you listening, you being willing to let people progress through those different movements is already to be a different kind of church in the first place. And so once just creating that space means that you're kind of giving up on the project of being um, absolutely, you know, truthful or, you know, right about your doctrine, but it also means giving up uh, control and someone's progress of being progressive or something like that, right? Uh, and so when you give up that need to control people or, or have uh, clearly identified outcomes in people's lives as a church, then you're creating the environment to be a post-Christian culture. So yeah, I totally agree with you there. You do, but it, it is a bit of an overstep for me to even say that, right? Like I'm basically saying, I don't think okay, it's a natural progression. You make it sound like let it's me be inevitable, but I don't think it is I, inevitable. It's a bit problematic, and I know we're going to get a lot of uh, nasty mail from this, but it's to, to say I'm your theological therapist, and I'm going to let you go from fundamentalist to progressive evangelical to Anabaptist is really to enforce my own uh, framework on people's lives. But I just want to say try it out. <laughs> Try it out as one so, as one school of thera theological therapy. So church as therapy, therapist office, church as couch. That's kind of a that's no. where we're going. So for me, uh, my point of view to kind of wrap this up for all of us is, uh, I would just say I would drop the gauntlet to be offensive in a different way. Is like I would say none of these versions of Christianity that go into the name of evangelicalism, none of them have been evangelical. Can I, I'm just going to put that out there. And what we really need is to, we really need to find out again what the classical evangelicalism is that united so these different mic things. Drop? Yeah. So, like, you know, Christianity today. Sorry, you've never been evangelical, even though you've tried to create the world of evangelicalism. Uh, Rachel Ed Evans, you've never been evangelical. Oh boy. Right. But the task is the reason I say that is because what about my Ed? hope. What about it? 
No, never been an evangelical. And I, even myself, have yet to truly be an evangelical. Billy Graham? Billy Graham? Not an evangelical. (laughs) So, and I could go, we could do a whole, we were talking, maybe we need to have a part two to this podcast. And so what is a truly evangelical evangelical? What does that mean? And I would just end with this, since our time is running out, is the place we should probably look, not necessarily is in the past, but in the majority world. I think true evangelicalism is being lived and practiced beyond the West, in one sense, you could say evangelicalism sprang up and grew from the West, but I think the true remaining evangelicals are outside the West, and we need to start looking there. So, but that maybe is for a whole nother podcast. Should that blew be my mind? Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I, I kind of was Lamin jumping out Santa there. What calls world Christianity? World Christianity, majority world Christianity versus global Christianity. He he calls it world Christianity. Yep. All right, so we're going to go back to some of our tried and true segments, and then I'm going to kind of uh, drop the awareness of a new one that's coming out. But hey, Fitch, yeah, are you still on Facebook? Because it's time for Fitch versus Fitch. Are you? Could ready? you have a little music or something when you do that? Uh, I could. I, sh- I probably should. I'll, I'll add some in the post production there. Fitch versus Fitch. You said, with the Book of Common Prayer, Cramner offered his people a liturgy in their own language. And just like him, we must never stop contextualizing the liturgy. Yeah. So you're saying we should mess with the Book of Common Prayer, which thousands, hundreds, even millions of people use every day? We should mess with that and call that mission? Uh, Not mess with it, contextualize it, bring it into the future. Uh, I think too often uh, the new liturgical wave, which I think Life and Divine Church, what, 15 years ago we were doing this? Yeah, Ancient Future, Robert Weber, we yeah, love the guy. And, and, and Bob was our friend. And uh, uh, But uh, the fact of the matter is I think too much of the liturgical wave is just uh, bringing the Book of Common Prayer out and uh, forcing people to enter into that world of 500 years ago. And I think we desperately need to contextualize liturgy, contextualize it, translate it, make it accessible for newer Christians, for Christians that have just found Christ, to be able to enter in and know the world uh, of thanksgiving and prayer and return of our lives and our abundance to Him that, that happens around the table at liturgy. So we need to contextualize it. I've been telling you this for years. <laughs> that's true. That's true. So it's a continuing mission of contextualization as we see in liturgy. Excellent. So, Dave, what you reading these days as we wrap it up? Yeah, well, you told me to bring a book, and uh, I did. Um, it's one that uh, I am actually reading again uh, by Michel Foucault, The Birth of the Clinic. And we're going to be reading sections of it in medical ethics at Northern Seminary this fall term. And the idea here is is that, well, Foucault helped us understand that um, the birth of modern medicine was a birth of a new knowledge. And within that knowledge is a new power base and there's this thing called the medical gaze that shapes who we are our self-understanding and even how we desire and it's so powerful and i think that this helps us understand what we're up against that the medical uh, edifice the, the medical industrialized complex is something we all have to engage as christians um, we can't just accept that, ooh, this is a doctor, this is a hospital, this is the med- And we have to bring the gospel into hospitals and discern what doctors are telling us about who we are, 
how to label our diseases, how to label our uh, pathologies or even our not pathologies. I don't know if that made sense, but I think this book is really important uh, for um, medical ethics. Michelle Foucault, The Birth of the Clinic, The Birth of the Duck Clinic. All right. Well, I've been reading the kind of along with the, all the themes that have been going on. I've been thinking about evangelicalism quite a bit this last summer. So I've been reading The Global Diffusion of Evangelicalism, The Age of Billy Graham and John Stott. This is a book by Brian Stanley, uh, and it basically goes from 1945, which is the kind of coming out party of the neo-evangelicals um, after fundamentalism and the kind of how it affects globally this uh, religious Can kind I of ask situation. One question? Uh, yes. Uh, does the book mention Carl F. Henry, yes. a uh, graduate and professor of Northern Baptist Theological Seminary at all? Yes, it actually mentions how Carl F. H. Henry wrote his basically defining text, which is the uneasy conscience of fundamentalism, while American here, fundamentalism. of American fundamentalism here at Northern Seminary, which was a text that kind of jump started the neo evangelical movement. Did so, it happen to start in the Griffith Conference Room? I don't think it did start in the Griffith okay. Conference Room. Sorry about that. So maybe, so going on to, I just, I'm just brainstorming here. So we know what we're going to do at the end of half the, the halfway end of the season. So in December, I hear you have a book coming out. And so to celebrate the book coming out, we will do an episode of Theology Mission back at the Griffith Conference Center. And what we're going to do is we're going to invite uh, a listener to in on that, to be with us. It's going to be a contest. So what we're going to do, this is for all of you listeners, we got this new segment where you all are going to be engaged, and it's going to be called Theology Gone Bad. Each week we're going to be throwing out a topic <laughs> about Theology Gone Bad because this is a, this is a, a podcast funny. on theology and mission, and we want to know the serious but also funny ways that theology has gone bad um, around a couple different topics. And so you can post that on our Facebook page. We're also going to have a Twitter hashtag, Theology Gone Bad, where you can post uh, different things. And each week, uh, Dave, you and I are going to kind of uh, grab a couple of the, the best ones, and we're going to decide while recording that episode which one is the best, and then that one will be entered into a drawing to get some free stuff every month. Uh, and then at the end, there'll be a grand prize, which is to get a free book and an interview with you primarily, but both of us here. This is supposed to incentivize people to participate? Yeah. Oh, I didn't think of that. You're right. So maybe, so well, yeah, so they can see the Griffiths Conference Center. Or we'll Skype them in or something like that, room. So anyways, the grand prize is going to be a book, signed book by you, an interview with you, and a spot, a segment on the Theology on Mission podcast. So look online on our different pages to get more information about that contest that's going to be coming each week. And we'll be shooting out the different topics. And we want your feedback. We want you to be involved. So until then, please... uh, Subscribe to the podcast, write some favorable or unfavorable reviews on iTunes and other places, and uh, we would love for you to get the word out. Thank you for listening to our first season of uh, Theology on Mission. We're one episode into season two. We hope you stick with us throughout the year and beyond. And so this is it for our first episode, first podcast of year two, Theology on Mission. Good to be with you. This is Dave Fitch signing out with Jeff Holtzclaw. <laughs>